This is Mindframe, a podcast of mind-bending science fiction. As always, I am your host, David Moten. I am both the writer of Mindframe and the narrator of the chapter episodes such as this one. And with me, as always, is my producer-in-residence, Brent Van Tassel, who makes all the magic happen with the technological what's-its and with the social media who's-its. So, um, as always, also, we want to tell you that uh, we are brought to you by our primary sponsor, which is El Yucateco Hot Sauce. It's an amazing hot sauce. Uh, we've been saying it for the past couple of weeks. Um, but if you like hot food, if you like spicy, and more than that, you like flavor, you definitely want to check out El Yucateco Hot Sauce. Uh, some of the brands, uh, such as their Triple X, get really, really spicy, and some of them, like the Chipotle, are really, really mild, but everywhere in the middle, it's not just like uh, what Brent would say, which is spicy ketchup, which a lot of hot sauces are. It's really delicious. You, you can check it out. Um, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it at most of your local grocers. You can get it at Target, Walmart, or you can go directly to elucateco.com where they will sell the sauces, um, all the flavors you might not be able to find, plus uh, any swag or t-shirts or material that you want. And while I'm... Um, plugging things and talking about swag and t-shirts, uh, you could always consider going to uh, mindframe.com where we have a shop and you can find really, really cool stuff. And also, if you really wanted to support us, you could check out patreon.com uh, slash mindframe podcast. And there you can uh, give us money for different tiers. Uh, there's really cool t-shirts. There's different gifts that you get at different levels. And the number one gift being um, that you can get access to the sit down episodes Every single time we record our regular chapter episodes, we also record a sit-down episode. So if you do become a, a member of Patreon at that level, you can always get the sit-downs and have us talk about the mysteries, unravel the mysteries, talk about the tech, talk about everything uh, dealing with the show. Also, we are a Podbelly original. Um, if you're interested in learning about podcasting, if you're interested in finding a really cool directory of podcasts you can download, you can check it out at podbelly.com. This week, we go back to an interlude. And in fact, this is our third interlude, and um, it focuses on a character that we haven't focused on before. He's been mentioned a couple times, but we haven't really shined the spotlight on him. Um, and I won't really say who it is because it sort of gets revealed in time throughout the chapter, and I don't want to spoil that moment for you. So um, sit back and listen to this interlude. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you again at the end of the show. Interlude. 20 in the Basement a hundred in the world, and this one in his bed. He knew that count from when he touched them. Twenty in the basement, a hundred in the world, and him in his bed. The twenty in the basement were easiest to reach, made forever close by their position in his family basement. They felt to him like a sea cave, empty at low tide, but when the waves rushed in, they could do nothing but accept the water, give it a form it never asked for. They would drink him in if he came near, water merged unto water. He would be inside the first mine, then sucked down deeper into the second, even faster than the third. By twenty, his momentum, his power, and his cognition were granted so much potency that he lost any sense of being something called a human. His neurons were no longer him. It was then that he would dance the world, taking leaps as grand as a continent touching the hundred now and again with a graceful light tilt, and then springboard halfway around the world. There was no body. There was no time. There was just the mind under all things. After passing through the twenty in the basement, the world was everywhere at once, a singular thing. 
Not billions of individual consciousnesses, but one true consciousness. Plutonian in its scope, like the mountain under a mountain. He could almost talk to it, of that he was certain. He wasn't sure if it would talk back, or even could, but he felt he was close to having a voice he could use toward this nexus of thought that lay so many levels below everything. But this was only possible due to the twenty in the basement and the hundred in the world and him in his bed. That was his existence now, as he was the world touching every mind, sensing all the times of his past as a physical thing that could be examined. Time didn't pass like it used to, before he'd breached through the twenty in the basement. It used to be that there was a then and a now, and the past was simply a miasma of memory, something erased of all the details, unknowable. The past wasn't linear due to memory in the human mind. It summoned itself, came up when it wanted, was flavored by the present. It wasn't real. The brain would attempt to recreate it like a flaccid marionette show, but you could never go back there. But once he was through the twenty in the basement, time was tangible, real. Then could be now if he wanted it to. He could enter the past like it was a solid thing. The magnificent human mystery of now and then and when was no more. Time was no longer an obscure force used to frame his universe. But it made sense almost, if he realized his mind was no longer his brain. His self was no longer electrical patterns stuck in the slow throes of evolution. It was a thing of quanta and light. When he first got here, he used to think of time as a wall, a barrier that human cognition could not break through to find the truth of the moment behind it. But, just now, and yes, there was still a now when he had occasion to find it useful, he realized that the wall was not an apt metaphor. Time wasn't a wall or what lay on the other side. It was all the bricks that made up the wall. A subtle distinction, but an important one. Just slide a brick out and look at it. Live it. Some were above and others were below. One was the first brick ever laid and another was the last to complete the wall. His wall. This was only true for what used to be the past and the present. For the future, a frail concept, was simply the newest bricks as they were laid down at the end of the wall. He could pick them up and see them, the once future, as it started to be the present. Or he could, as he often did, ignore the newest bricks completely and look at his old favorites. Or as he was doing now, stand back and view the wall as a whole, the new pieces piling up at the front end. Eventually, if there was an eventually, one of those pieces would be the important one, the one he was here for. But he wasn't sure he'd know when it had come. But surely the twenty in the basement and the hundred in the world would tell him. And light. His brain could feel it on his face in the morning, but his mind perceived it as a lattice, a track, a way he could travel if he twisted himself just right. He could almost move there to the light and leave the pallid, frail thing laying in his bed entirely. That body was one substrate for his cognition, but he thought light was a better idea. He wasn't quite good enough yet, but waves and electrons, it's all he'd need eventually to keep being, thinking, talking with the mind under all the minds. Waves, electrons, and bricks in a bed. That was what his life had come to. Then sometimes there was his uncle. Through any of the bricks of time in which this lovely man was present, Uncle Grimm's voice would reverberate. 
He'd sit and read those pre-war American novels he loved so much. His uncle would read from a comfortable chair near the bed, drinking coffee. He would smell the coffee, smell Grimm's aftershave, hear his deep, soothing voice, follow the narration. He liked those bricks. His uncle was the best, coming in almost every morning and evening to read and chat and gossip about the family. It made it not so bad to be crippled in a bed, unable to even open his eyes. But upon reaching one certain brick in the wall, Grimm quit coming. From there it was always Elise. They called her his sister, but it was a term he didn't like. After all, he was in love with her, found her beautiful and kind, and wanted to hold her, caress her belly and kiss her mouth. If only he wasn't the one in the bed. If only it wasn't for Nathaniel. When Elise and Grimm would visit, he could see love pouring out of their auras, touching his own through the metacognexus, the thought below thought. The love was more real than time or light or matter. It shifted from a subtle pink to a raw blue and then a white so pure it looked like cosmic silver. Reese, a voice said. He stood back and looked at the wall of time, wondered which splinter this moment came from. He took note of where he was. He was attached to one of the hundred in the world, the woman in Sao Paulo, where the warm breezes blew. His quantum trail looped through her and drifted on unknown currents through the air all the way back to the basement and stopping at his body, laying in his bed. He leapt, one great spring and allowed himself to leave her and enter the twenty in the basement. His quantum trail shrank taut and kept up with him. Those in the basement accepted him. They had no choice. But since this was his way back to embodiment, they slowed him, one mind to the next, until he was again in his twisted, broken body, back in the being, the one in his bed. His mind gathered up his silver tether. He felt it become embodied. His consciousness was once again a classical being, a thing of neurons and dendrites more than a thing of qubits, electron spins, and dipole process. Reese, the voice said again. Reese looked with his closed eyes, found the brick. It was the newest one laid down on the wall. It was now. Reese entered now. He heard the voice far away, impossibly far away. He knew that this was a totally different thing than his thing. He was being called to visit someone in a dream. He thought what he'd recently learned about his mystical voodoo nonsense. He could only get where he was being summoned if he slept. So he practiced a meditation technique. It was called something ludicrous like winter mountain dew, autumn crumb cake, or springtime bubble bath. It was to slow his body, still his mind, and let him sleep. It was easy to do since his body was always exhausted, so he slept. Once there, he found himself on a grand ship in the ocean. The smell of unadulterated sea spray told him he was deep at sea, and as he looked around, he confirmed that there was no shore on the vast horizon. The ship was nicely appointed, a color palette of subdued browns, tans, reds, and oranges. The whole thing looked like an old photograph. He was on a deck, feeling the slight sway. A couple was up ahead, intertwined with each other, looking out over a railing. A man who should have known better lay shirtless on a deck chair, eyes closed, some sort of vintage hearing device on his head and ears, probably listening to music. A woman at a kiosk that read ice cream nodded at him, ready to serve up a treat. 
It was a cruise ship, obviously, but the clothing choices, design colors, and exotic luxury of the restaurants on the other side of the windows indicated it was a pre-war cruise ship. You never knew where or when you'd end up with these people. Reese, the voice said again. This time a question, not a beckoning. The voice could only be one man. It had to be Master Fang, one of the five couriers of the Alpha. Fang was a kind man, impossible to read even for a Bolivar. He was an unbelievably powerful metacog. He could summon Reese, speak to him. He had taught Reese a few meditation techniques like the ones that helped him fall asleep. It amazed him how differently the two of them perceived and accessed their metacognition. Fang could do all this from far across the solar system and with no psyamp. Yet even still, he was not messenger level. What techniques must those minds know? How far were they removed from humanity by power alone, much less the constant, intimate contact with an alien mind? Regardless, Fang was the only mind Reese could enter other than the twenty in the basement and the hundred in the world. Reese, Master Fang said again, distinctly behind him. Reese turned around and got a bit of vertigo at the sensation. It was awkward being embodied, much less in a form that was mobile and was free from the peripatetic nature of Reese's condition since the installation of the amp. Fang lightly touched Reese's shoulder for support. Are you here, my friend? Are you stable? Yes and no, in that order, Reese said with a laugh. Fang stood wearing his crimson robes, hair and a long, complicated ponytail, the pattern of which even Hercules could not unravel. Reese smelled coffee and perhaps a cinnamon roll coming from a nearby shop up the deck. Fang's hands were both tucked into his sleeves across the front of his body. He loosed one and gestured with what Reese could only think of as a graceful karate chop toward one of the shops. Reese looked and saw it was indeed a shop specializing in cinnamon rolls. They walked in. Fang indicated where Reese should sit. Fang went to the counter and ordered a coffee and a fresh cinnamon bun from a woman who looked perhaps Afro-Caribbean. He set them in front of Reese. It was all pretense, but Reese needed time to catch up with himself. This was far away from Earth. His astral body didn't ever arrive all at once, but in waves and particles as it rebuilt and was made stronger. A swift assembly was one of the gifts the 20 in the basement gave him, but out here, jetting through space, it took time. Reese ate, thought about small talk, but he had nothing to say that at best would have been utterly irrelevant and at worst would have seemed like he was trying to gather intel about Master Fang and his people, which he was. He slowly consumed the baked good, drank the coffee, and let his psyche flow up the silver cable stretching like a compact chrome river all the way back to his body, in the bed. I'm here now, Master Fang. Are you merely asking for an update, or do you have another lesson to teach me? Certainly you aren't the final brick in the wall. The final brick? The front edge of time, when the plan begins. If I understand what you're saying, Reese, no, we are not at the front edge of time. We are at the front edge of time, Master Fang. We are simply not when the plan begins. Ah, I see. Yes, then, Fang said slowly and happily comprehending. And where are we, Reese asked. This isn't your usual haunt. Every time they'd met before inside of one of Master Fang's dreams, it was an old west town full of cowboys and schoolmarms and barbers and blacksmiths. They often met at a saloon or an old schoolhouse with impossibly small and rickety desks. Fang said, a cruise ship. It is not my setting. It is generated by a woman who is near me. It's her space. 
Is this woman the one teaching me tonight's lesson? No, no. In fact, we are here to let you do the teaching. And what do you need to know from me? I'm an entirely different type of beast than your lot. I'm a different operating system, as it were, Reese said, taking another sip of the coffee before it was too cool for him to enjoy. We have need of your expertise, my friend. We have a question of hardware and a question of wetware. Fang spread out a few items next to the amazingly wasteful paper plate that had cinnamon roll crumbs on it. He had set down a cylindrical device about the size of a human thumb. Its body was a metal, the gray of a marine layer that hadn't burned off yet. On one end, there were the pins, a host of small needles that were shorter on the outer edge and grew taller in the center. This was the end that would need to face upward, toward the brainstem. At the bottom of the cylinder was a small hook that looked like a scorpion's stinger. Beside the device was a small, long crimson crystal, which Reese knew should be attached to the top of the scorpion hook. Also beside it was a small crystal decanter. Floating in the decanter's water was an orb the size of a marble. It was filled about halfway with a thick purple fluid that didn't quite glow, but did very interesting things to the light. Except for not being fully assembled, Reese was quite shocked to see a psi amp here on the table. Is this the question of hardware, Reese asked Master Fang? Indeed it is. She's been beamed all the visuals and activities, all the instructions to build it, but since her training is not complete, she can't quite make out the final few steps. We thought it best to come to you in case you had any knowledge about this device. The Alpha indicated you might, but he was unusually obscure about it. Reese nodded and picked the amp up from the table, examining its craftsmanship. It was perfectly made. Then he picked up the red crystal and said, she can't figure out how to lock the crystal into the cylinder's chassis, and she has no idea what to do with the purple thingy. I believe so, yes. I assume you do know what this device does? I have intimate knowledge of it, yes. And who is she exactly? Reese was downplaying his shock. The plans for a Psy Amp were delivered to a resistance cell back in the World Vote Wars only ever once. It was never leaked to WorldGov or shared with anyone else. Reese's family kept this as one of its greatest secrets, design plans that were otherwise thought lost to the world. WorldGov would have turned San Pedro upside down if they knew his grandfather could build them. How this made it to deep space, in the hands of a courier, were a complete mystery to Reese. As was the identity of the female he mentioned, and Fang said she was completing training. Exactly what was she being trained at? There were too many questions. Reese realized a second too late he had furrowed his brow, a tell of his concern. And just as quickly as he betrayed himself, Master Fang replied, She is Josephine Wu. Shall I introduce you to? I didn't want to intrude with another mind if you weren't receptive to it, or while you were still in transit. Please, Reese said, and followed Master Fang as he collected the items and left the little shop. He walked to the fore of the ship and eventually climbed a set of metal stairs covered in generations of thick white paint that were chipped here and there. They made Reese think the whole ship was covered in a candy coating. Up ahead, a woman was doing a meditation movement, focused and perfect. He'd seen his aunt do her daily Tai Chi, but this was much more graceful and infinitely more precise. The woman was in her early 40s, he'd guess, Chinese, or at least partially. She wore the robes that Reese had come to associate with a framer, but they weren't black. They weren't red like a courier's either. 
They were a billowing white, flowing around her as she did her delicate meditative dance. The one in the robes, Reese asked, delivering it like a statement more than a question. Fang nodded yes. The white robes, Reese asked, letting it hang in the air until Fang caught on. Ah, yes, they are the robes of a messenger. Well, didn't you just up the game, Fang? I didn't realize they all wore the same color, but now that I think of it, of course they do. Which one is this? It's not the Alpha, Beta, or Delta. I've met them in my youth at various Bolivar and WorldGov functions. This is not that, Reese. She is a messenger for a different purpose. A purpose like building a Psy Amp? A Psy Amp? Yes. Fang spread the item on a table near the woman and then started to crank open a large umbrella to deflect the sun. Josephine, Fang said coolly. The woman stopped her movements and turned to look at them both. Josephine Wu, this is Reese Bolivar. It is good to meet you. May I call you Reese? I see no reason not to, he said. Are you a Bolivar Bolivar? I am that. Oldest son of Yale Bolivar. Are you a messenger messenger? I'm not sure yet, she said with a distant expression as she tried to work that question out. Then are you a deviant? Reese asked, putting on a devilish smile like his father would have used. He was joking with a too obvious question that he knew she wouldn't answer. But like many times tonight, he was surprised, as she said, I'm not sure of that either yet, I'm afraid. What I can tell you is that I am a student, most recently a student of alien organizations and possible futures once the lariat closes. But foremost, I am a student of the mind, of the body, and of the place that is neither or both. Oh boy, Reese said, you have a lot of Master Fang in you. There are worse influences in this galaxy, are there not? Fang asked, feigning an insult. Josephine said, Feel free to decline if my question is out of order, but is the Bolivar family involved in this? The family? No. I am. My grandfather was, that's all I know. So here we are. The courier, the messenger, and the one in the bed. The question of hardware. You need help with the device? Yes, I do, said Josephine. I can wait for the details to get beamed, but they're oftentimes confusing, and I don't quite know how to unveil the visions or personality of the being who I speak with. She has no hands, nothing even close to that, so trying to show me how to do fine, dexterous work with fake human hands takes a lot of interpretation on both of our parts. That makes as much sense as anything does, Reese said. It was a personal joke between him and his grandfather when they studied alien technology or tried to learn about the metacognition. Josephine said, it may take weeks or months, time that the Alpha says we might not have. There was a timeline in place that worried an Alpha, and this Josephine Wu was completely unperturbed, or at least she didn't show her concern with any breaks or tells. Reese liked her already. May I? Reese said, indicating the device. Please, the messenger in training said. Reese picked up the gray cylinder and the long, thin crystal. This crystal fits inside the chassis of the device. You have to sort of pull the little scorpion hook down and toward yourself and it gives way. When it does, the smallest of spaces opens and you can touch the gem into it. The gem forces its way into the frame and goes all the way down to the spine of the thing. Would you like me to do it? I found it important to build my own, but I also sensed that the device made me feel that way once I made the little orb filled with purple liquid, like it compelled me to be the one who built it a low-key obsession that it forced onto me as I built it. 
I feel entirely the same way, Reese, Josephine said, tilting her head, eyes narrowing a bit. She couldn't believe this was true of someone else. But this is not the real thing in the waking world, so I'm happy to watch you do it. Reese held the cylinder firmly in his left hand and pulled hard with his right. There was a faint popping noise and the tail shifted in his hand. You can't see it, but the tail just gave way. I could hear it, Josephine said, stepping very close to get a better look. Reese placed the crystal into the pinhole opening and it slid itself into the device quickly enough that it should have cut his finger. It did in the real world when he placed his there. Carefully your finger when you really do this. Josephine grabbed the decanter and tipped it, emptying the water onto the deck and palming the glass orb with the purple liquid in it. She handed it to Reese. For a moment, he had a sense of paranoid family clarity. His instinct was to pull back, leave this place, scream back down his astral cord. His family legacy of trust issues fired up big time, and he wanted nothing to do with this woman he didn't know or Master Fang, the teacher of dreams. He would have fled if not for his instructions. He was given a handful of people to trust at all times once it would start, and Master Fang was one of them. It was such a powerful moment of emotion, he couldn't imagine how badly he'd given away his mistrust with expression or body language. However, both Fang and this Josephine were looking only at the orb. You already have this part built as well? Reese asked. A nonsense question he didn't care about. It was a great way to bluff as you needed a moment to think or reset. Yes, Josephine said. In the waking, it is just as you see it here. Okay, not sure how this will play out in this fantasy cruise ship, but next you take the orb. He slid the orb from his right hand to his left hand, but mimed as if it still held it in his right. You have to use quite a bit of pressure, but you smack the orb against the back of your neck, just below the hairline, hard enough to break it and cut skin. He smacked himself with his empty hand hard enough to wince. Then you take the cylinder and place it, pins up, into the liquid now on your neck. Stab it in there good, it has to go all the way through. It'll hurt for a moment, but it'll embed itself, numb the pain, and you're done. Or, more realistically, you've just started. Embed itself, Master Fang asked the question Josephine was about to. Yes, in your spinal cord. The purple stuff makes it able to slide through the flesh somehow without an incision or a telltale scar. The pins graft themselves to your brainstem, I think, connecting to nerves. If you watch it closely, Reese said to Fang, you'll see the orb reform itself and connect to the device just before it buries itself into Josephine's central nervous system. And what happens next? Josephine asked. What happens next is a motherfucker. More specifically, asked Mr. Fang. It awakens those who can be awakened. Awakened from what? Josephine asked. Awakened to what? Reese said. To their psionic potential, though I know that's a term your lot doesn't appreciate. Just like your framer training would do, it turns the person into a metacog. A metacog, Fang asked, sitting down and inviting the others to sit as well with a gentle gesture. They all took a seat in the shade of the great umbrella, the sea breeze and the shadow both reminding the sun that this was Poseidon's realm as the air cooled down radically. Perhaps you should give us a proper lesson, Mr. Bolivar. Assume we know nothing, Fang said. Reese realized Fang said it because it was true. Okay, metacogs, humans with psionic powers, the ability to exploit metacognition, telepathy, like the three of us are using right now, astral travel, which I know I'm using, don't know if your lot does it or not. 
When you visit each other, is there a silver cord tying back to your body? They both shook their heads no. Okay. Body enhancement, quantum entanglement, pyrokinesis, uh, quantum level matter phasing. You can actually do these things, Josephine asked, suddenly dropping her calm. You can phase through matter with just the power of thought. No, not at all. For one, you said you, meaning me. This is not something I can do. But yes, I mean at the quantum level, there is no matter. There are great voids between any physical items. The atoms of your feet are empty. Nothing really touches, yet the universe acts as if it does. This is because the meta-consciousness perceives it as so. And so it is. It can be done, it just needs an additional implant. Almost everything I just mentioned needs an additional implant. Downloadable content, as my grandfather called it, but I'm not sure why. But that brings me to my own question, Reese said. Since when do you dream priests use implants? Since today, Master Fang said. He was more stern than Reese could remember ever seeing him. What are these implants? What do they do? They connect your consciousness with the quantum, but let me paint this picture more thoroughly here. There are three types of metacogs in the solar system. Let's start with the dolphins, since they aren't part of us here. They're really difficult to understand. They awaken far more easily and frequently than humans do, but their metacognition is tied intimately to their pod and their environment. They use sound in the ocean as a psionic delivery device as well as a sonic one. It barely makes any sense to me. They, the speed they're moving plus the density of the water they're in plus the sound they make and who can hear it all equals some type of metacognition unlike ours. That system of dolphin metacognition always reminded Reese of the Lariat itself. To activate, it had to be traveling at a certain speed, be within certain gravitational tolerances based on its distance from the sun, and have a certain internal temperature in various heat control chambers built along its body. Well, it needed all those things to be very precise simultaneously with another Lariat elsewhere in the universe that was matching the same criteria. Then, presto, you had a gate in space-time. That summary of the dolphin messenger, or metacog, is in alignment with the teaching of our lot, Fang said. He punched the words our lot as a bit of a joke since Reese had called them that several times. Reese smiled. Your lot are more like the metacog dream priests. You meditate, you wear robes, most of you don't cut your hair like good members of society, you study ley lines, master your body, focus on feng shui. In a sense, most of you even believe in a higher power, which is the lariat. The moment of its opening is the holiest of holies. And through all of that, you practice and you focus and you enter these astral spaces, Reese indicated the cruise ship with a sweeping wave of his arm. Dream spaces. But at the end of the day, it's all peer-to-peer. -peer. You float through each other's nighttime illusions, push each other using the framing, get direct messages from senders. Your whole system is training your body and brain to enhance your mind enough to become a metacog who specializes in various types of communication psionics, telepathy, empathy, broadcast empathy, nothing else. Which is fine. It's wonderful. Your lot does amazing things and has reshaped the species and the solar system with very imaginative uses of a very limited tool chest. And then, what is your lot? Josephine asked, humorless. Well, we aren't priests or dolphins. We're quantum physicist techno wizards. There was an old theory of consciousness called the Orc OR, 
It was close to what we are, but it has glaring flaws. Our minds exist out of our brains as much as in them. You understand the difference, yes, between brain and mind? Fang seemed to, but Josephine did not. Your brain is the lumpy gray thing in your skull, full of goop and electrical impulses and neurons. Your mind is not that. It's so much more than that. Our minds are all in this cruise ship space, for example, but our brains are asleep in our various beds. I leave my brain constantly. I hardly even spend any time there unless Master Fang comes calling. But when I am there, I can tell. When my mind is being processed and generated primarily by the brain sitting inside of my broken body, I'm slower, sluggish, very limited in my consciousness, barely a metacog at all. But when my mind is free, when it's being generated by the quantum through electron spin states or light itself, that's when I can feel the nexus below all the minds of humanity. Fang raised his hand with a gentle question. You've used this term before. Can you elaborate on the nexus below minds? It's where we are now. It's where I'll be when the war starts. It's where your framers go to do their job. It's where you go to get messages beamed in from senders. My grandfather gave me a visual. If the galaxy were an ocean, Reese said, indicating the water surrounding their ersatz cruise ship, every sentient mind is a small ball floating on the top, billions of them, bobbing in a current they can't control. But below the balls is the truth of it all. Tides and riptides, shears and forces churning around down there. If you can dip below the surface, you can ride these currents, change them, and change the balls on the surface. That's what your framers do, right? Seems like it, Josephine said. Now that's the three classes. Dolphins, dream priests, and physicist techno-wizards. The Psyamp taps enlightened minds into the Nexus. You're already there. You went through your WorldGov training for years to master all these esoteric techniques. The amp does that like lightning as soon as it's installed. For some, as I said, it is used to connect their cognition to the other devices installed in or around the body. This localized network is their version of metacognition. Limited in range, but often wildly powerful. In my case, it allows me one gift only and that is the ability to surf around in between the minds. I spend all my time trying to know the metacognitive nexus. It is not easy. It isn't a dream space. There's no corollary backdrop to protect my brain. It's a place without place. A time without time. The entire human world and all of humanity without a human. And I can say with 100% certainty that I have absolutely no clue what it will do for someone who has already learned all you have learned. I didn't think the priest could become a wizard. Your gifts are radically different than our gifts. I didn't think it could be done. But it can, Fang said. And it must, Josephine said. They all sat in silence, and the sky slowly grayed. It was the type of rapid onset of a storm that would tell you to go inside if you were on a real cruise ship. Josephine's face and body had no tells, but her world certainly did. She said, then I must go and do this. Thank you for teaching me the hardware and your philosophy. And I assume I already answered the question of wetware, Reese said, pointing to the Siamp in the messenger's hand. You did, thank you. I hope we will meet again, Reese Bolivar. This conversation did much to realign my worldview. And what will you do when the day finally comes? Reese said, I shall wreak chaos across all corners of the earth in ways no man or beast has ever conceived. 
his grandfather's words from the night he said goodbye and watched Reese install the Siamp. Reese realized he was looking at the horizon, seeing that terrible future and his role in it. He made no attempt to hide his emotion. Master Fang and Messenger Wu looked cowed. They shrank back ever so slightly before fixing their breathing. He really could come to like these two. If only there were time. He pulled with all his might on his silver cable and left the ship. He drifted in a direction he thought to be down for an unknown length of time. The nexus grew larger below him as he drew closer to it. Eventually, his cognition shifted, weakened. He was back in his body. Pale sunlight came through the windows of his palace and fell on his eyes. He smelled Elise and her tea. She was going to read to him this morning. Reese was deciding if he wanted to be in the now or step out and be everywhere else. Just then he felt it, a new node, a radically different tendril in the heavens, bright enough that he'd have to shield his psionic eyes if he looked skyward. Now, there were twenty in the basement, one hundred in the world, one in his bed, and a dream priest's quantum techno-wizard floating in the heavens. Well, thank you for listening to the chapter. I hope you found Reese's current journey interesting and his connections to Master Fang and now Josephine and exactly what's happening. I know hopefully it answered some questions and perhaps posed more, but uh, we'll keep seeing where those interludes take us as the story um, continues to evolve. So in closing, I always like to shout out a couple of things, uh, get you uh, in alignment with where we are with our social media and all sorts of stuff. As always, please consider visiting uh, mindframepodcast.com and going into the merch store where you can find, if, if you like this story, you can find my book, 181 Pine, which is the first of a trilogy of a different science fiction universe. And you can also find all the books of Zach Smith, who helps us with the sit down episodes, as well as a merch uh, store. You can also uh, find myself and Brent and um, our other partner, Brad Taylor, on the Sofa King podcast, which is also a member of the Podbelly Network. And uh, on that show, we do a very not safe for works, uh, humorous take on various topics that we research voted on by our listeners. You can always check that out. And you can also check out Brewing the 99, which is a great podcast for uh, Magic the Gathering, specifically the Commander format. If you're into magic, uh, then it's worth uh, listening to. As part of uh, our, our uh, dedication and love of the Podbelly Network, we want to say that if you go to podbelly.com, you can find a lot of other really great shows, including from a Generation X point of view, and we're not sure yet, so check those out as well as the other ones that are there. And as always, you can visit us on social media. You can find us on Facebook at Mindframe Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at The Mindframe Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at The Mindframe Pod. And you can find us on Reddit at r slash Mindframe Podcast. Thanks as always for your support. Thanks as always uh, for your listen. And remember, the Lariat is closing. <laughs>